Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I am your host, Jonathan Humphrey. Today we will be discussing the Taylor Swift album, Reputation. It was her sixth studio album, and it was released on November 10th, 2017. This album followed the release of 1989, which was her breakthrough crossover hit. My guest today is Sarah Mulrow, a writer, editor, podcaster, and in all honesty, my significant other. We had a lot to say about this album, so we'd like to jump to that conversation very quickly. But before that, I would like to address that there are some audio quality issues with this. And this was our second attempt to record this, so I hope they don't bother anyone and that you can still enjoy. My castle crumbled overnight. I brought a knife to a gunfight. I'm here today with Sarah Mulrow, and we're about to talk about the Taylor Swift album, Reputation. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hello, Jonathan. Before we get into this album, uh, I just want to say that you and I and some friends are currently working on a a project together, and we might have more information, but if anyone's interested, do you want to briefly tell people about what we're working on? Oh, that's going to fall to me? Sure. (laughs) Okay. So during quarantine, during COVID-19... Jonathan and myself have reconnected with some writer friends back from school, which is where we had met. And during a Zoom session, I jokingly read the first chapter of Twilight to everyone. And then we discussed it and then later joked, should we make a podcast? And now we're making a podcast where we read through Twilight and analyze Twilight called Bite of Passage. Should I talk about the plug? Like, where to find it you're better at that than i am we'll put the, i'll put a little bit of information about where to find that at the end of the episode but for now let's let's get into to your history with taylor swift do you want to very briefly tell people your relationship to taylor swift this was your album you picked this album yes i did no people thought that you had chosen this album so i there's people that have known t- that have been taylor swift fans since the beginning since 2006 ish when she put out her first album. That's not when I first became a Taylor Swift fan. It was around 2008, 2009 when Fearless came out. Once I discovered Taylor Swift, man, did my life change. (laughs) I love Taylor Swift. There's posters of her everywhere. I know more than I should about Taylor Swift besides things that like a person shouldn't know about a complete stranger. Like I don't know her blood type, but I could tell you a bunch of other stuff that I probably should not know about Taylor Swift. That's fair. Uh, What you're saying is for over a decade now, Taylor Swift has been your favorite musician. Yes, because I'm 24. And since I was like, what, 12, it's just been Taylor Swift all the time. Let's move on. Uh, Well, I guess I'll say briefly, I had heard the name Taylor Swift, but I didn't even really hear her music until 1989. That's baffling. By the time I had heard her music, she was catching a lot of flack and seemed really hated by a lot of people. So, Oh, definitely. But I went in there thinking, well, this isn't as bad as everyone's saying it is. It's not worth the hate. And then I got to listen to a lot more Taylor Swift and then really did a deep dive for this album, Reputation. How would you very concisely summarize Reputation? Uh, you shouldn't have put concisely in because that just puts so much pressure on me. <laughs> Well, I have to backtrack a little bit based on jumping off of what you just said to describe what reputation is. 
it's a reaction to a period she went through in her life around the time of 1989. It just the flack that you mentioned she was getting and the scrutiny she was getting from every direction in her life was just getting beyond ridiculous. And you know, that's celebrities can't really complain because they have all the money in the world and all the fame and everything they want, but it's also like they never get a minute to just be a person. So I can imagine that that gets to be a lot, especially when you're someone like who's like Taylor Swift, who is constantly like over scrutinized by the media, by by everyone just saying, well, this is Taylor Swift and all she talks about is boys and she writes breakup songs and like, wow, why does she do that? She needs to stop dating, etc. So she went on a hiatus. She for the longest time she was on this very strict schedule of put an album out, have that album out for two years, tour with it, whatever, put a new album out almost exactly two years after the previous album and so on. But with Reputation, she took about three years off. And when Reputation was released, there was no promotion for it. It was just kind of there. She swiped all of her social media completely clean. And it's kind of like a fresh start of being like, well, you did not like who I was, and you destroyed my reputation. So I'm just going to also just kill that. But you also don't get to decide what my reputation is or who I am or what my music is and means to me or to my fans. So the first half is kind of like a screw you. And then the second half is like, this is what the music is to me. And I don't care about other people. And yeah. So I think it's safe to say that her albums are generally autobiographical right? Yeah, there's, in the past when we talked about Taylor Swift, not on a podcast, just in general, you said she has a confessional way with her song. Yeah. And I feel like that's really true because a lot of people, herself included, describe it as she's a storyteller, which isn't necessary. There are instances of that. That's not necessarily all the case. It is autobiographical. It is her confessing these things about her life, which is what makes it so all the more upsetting that she gets so much flack for doing that. And people like judge her like, oh, all you do is talk about boys or whatever. And, you know, that's been going on for a long time since, like, her third or fourth album. So it's like, that's getting old. Yeah, it's getting old. Like, she still hears that. It's ridiculous. Right. Well, I guess what I what I was getting at more is it's... So when we're, we're talking about this album and trying to break down this album, it's not as much about trying to figure out what the whole thing is about, but there are little moments more that you're trying to figure out. In terms of phrases, little hints she drops at things within her life, those are more of the, the bigger mystery of this album than any kind of like theme or meaning. Right. Well, I would, uh, I would like to go ahead and say that just some things. The influences on this album are a lot different than the influences on her earlier work. And even, even the, the album that follows this one is not so much because this album is definitely Taylor Swift at her darkest. It has a lot of 80s sounding music. There's some world music influence. There's some club music influence. And like I was saying, really dark the other thing I really want to point out is that you really can't hear what's going on with it if you're not listening to it on headphones. Right. And before you, you know, you listen to this to prepare for us to talk about it, I should have mentioned that as someone who's listened to it out loud in my room, driving in a car, on headphones, on a busy train, on headphones, lying down in bed, like it is a completely different experience how you listen to it. 
which which is the case with a lot of albums. But with this one's particularly, there is a lot of small production things that if you're not paying attention, you're not going to catch. And it's hard to catch those things when you have other noises and sounds going on. So what you need like that headphone experience because like it's that, but it's just so focused in on all those little things that you wouldn't necessarily catch otherwise. Right. And it's a pretty horny album for Taylor Swift. <laughs> eh, I don't think she intent. I mean, sure. It's 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 definitely more sexual it's than the any first other time that she's been like, hey. <laughs> it, it, but it is the most sexual album of hers. That's true, but that's also what she was going for with being like, well, scrap my old reputation of being this innocent America's sweetheart, goody two-shoes, but also being this like terrible man-eater. It's really confusing what people did with her reputation before reputation. Right. It's still not great, but it's a lot better than it was before. But yeah, I guess I could agree that it is her her most horny, as you put it, album. It might also just be because it's like, this is also coming during a time when she's kind of found her person. I don't know if it's like going to be her person forever, but I mean, who's anyone's person forever? That's a whole different conversation, but where she found like contentment and happiness for the first time, which that's going to get more into her next album, Lover, but we're not here to talk about that yet. Wink, wink. (laughs) We are not here to talk about that. I just had one little silly note about about it. When you're looking up the lyrics, like reading the lyrics online to these songs, which I like to do for the preparation for this, mm-hmm. they just look really weird because of how much repetition is used yeah. lyrically in the songs. It's funny that like half a page is the same line over and over and over again sometimes. It is, yeah. But I mean, I don't know how many times. I haven't really looked up the lyrics a lot just because a lot of it is just repetition. So I don't need to be like, what is it she's saying there? Because if I'm not getting it, that's on me. Because she said it like 10 times. Right. Before we, because we, I'm assuming we're going to start going track by track soon. Let me say just a couple more things about the album as a whole. Um, you mentioned, I don't know if you did mention, I might just be going crazy, but with, you know, I think a lot of people started seeing Taylor Swift as a credible artist during the 1989 phase. When 1989 came out, you know, a bunch of people did covers of it and, and were like, this is great. She won a Grammy, blah, blah, blah. With Reputation, I think, you know, with 1989, it's been called by Taylor Swift herself and by a lot of people, a very cohesive album. But I feel like this is really like the production, but also like what she's trying to say. It feels more like a a full story to me, like beginning, middle, end. Like we get somewhere at the end. We start somewhere and then we're at this place. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's it's a very complete album. It's not just a collection of songs. Not only is the lyrics are the lyrics about a chapter of her life, but the music is is very cohesive. Right. And in the past with other albums, it might have just been like this is just a collection of songs I wrote in this period of my life, but this feels like it has more to say and it might be because she had more of a motive, not yeah, like a motive during this period to be like, I have something I need to say with this. And I think that kind of helps drive that sort of cohesiveness in an album. If you have something specific, you're trying to say that might not be one thing, 
but a bunch of little things that come together and say this greater, bigger thing. Right. And a lot of Taylor Swift fans like to rank the albums by season. <laughs> like, you know, we're all, a lot of them are teenage girls or like girls in their young 20s like me. So we're emotional people. So we like to be like, what's a good album to listen to when you're sad? What's a good album to listen to when you're driving with your friend? And a lot of people have said that Reputation is a winter album. And I would agree with that. I don't know how you feel about that now having listened to it multiple times. It's hard for me to associate with... Right. Understandable. I mean, I, I might, it might feel more fall to me. Really? Well, people would argue with that. Taylor Swift fans would argue with you on that just because Red is always considered her like big fall album, but she also talks about a lot of fall things in that album. So, and it just has a lot of color schemes and tone connected to fall. You reminded me, I wanted to make one more little statement about this album. Sure. I was very surprised by the fact that I liked this album as much as I did. And I think a lot of that is the production. The production on this album is really fantastic. The layering of the music, everything is really good. But they're, they're what I've labeled are Valley Girl moments, <laughs> but it's not, it's not just that. Uh, another guest on this podcast podcast has said on more than one occasion that sometimes it's hard for him to find or say what a standout track is because he likes parts of a of one song just the whole song it's parts and i guess i kind of had trouble understanding what he meant as much until listening to this album because it's like almost every song has something in it almost every song has something in it that's amazing that i think it's so fantastic but within the same song there's some part where i'm just like oh God, no. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I definitely have moments in that album where that for sure comes up where I'm like, man, I would tell people about this more if it weren't for this. Because I when I say that, I mean people that are always like, oh, Taylor Swift, gross. Like, I always want to prove those people wrong. Or just be like, hey, like, you don't have to love her, but at least acknowledge that she is a valid artist that's not just garbage like you think she is. And I'm always looking for those songs that are going to be like, yes, like, this is just a good song and you can't deny it. And I hate when that happens, those moments you talk about. And there are moments in this album in songs, and I'm sure we'll get into it, where I'm like, this would be like A+. I would tell everybody to listen to this song so they can see how great Taylor Swift is. Except for this one line, this one bridge, just one moment where it's just not good. Right. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the album as a whole up front? I mean, I feel like it'll come naturally while we're talking about the rest of each song individually. Because I, I don't want to... I could go on about it forever. Reputation's great, guys. Well, why don't we take a very quick break and then we'll be back to go track by track. You should take it as a compliment that I got drunk and made fun of the way you talk. You should think about the consequences. And we're back talking about taylor swift's reputation we're gonna listen to all the songs now Woo, sorry i needed to cheer <laughs> we're gonna start with track one are you ready for it ready for it I 
really like the transition of this song between the verses and the refrain. Uh-huh. Uh, I just think it's so hard hitting up front and then it just goes so soft into that refrain and it's a really good balance that's walked on this. Well, obviously this is an introduction to Taylor Swift trying something different with her music, which she had already done in previous albums in 1989. You know, she's trying for that popular 80s sound and now with ready for it she's discovered bass <laughs> one and she's going for that those rapier verses but story time so my first year of college it was actually like a week before i started i met with this girl that i had gone to high school with and she was a year or two older than me and she happened to go to the same college as me and she was like I'll meet up with you at this coffee house and we'll go, we'll talk about the college. Like I'll help you transition into all this. And we didn't know each other that well in high school, but everyone to put more into perspective, my relationship with Taylor Swift, everyone in high school knew I love Taylor Swift. Some people would call me Taylor Swift girl. They'd be like, Oh, Taylor Swift, because they did not know my name, but they knew I liked Taylor Swift and I would sing her songs and talent shows. So anyway, I met with this girl and because to fill that awkward like I haven't seen you in years moment she asked oh like so what do you think about Taylor Swift and at first I was like uh because this was when 1989 first came out I'm like I don't like that it's so different but it's also Taylor Swift so I still love her and I remember previously this person back in high school was like very much like I do not like Taylor Swift no thanks pass but in this moment, sitting there with me, she admitted, she's like, you know, people can say what they want and they can say that they don't like her trying to do all these things that aren't meant for her because really who's thinking that Taylor Swift should be rapping? I don't know many people that, be like, that would be like, she should be rapping more. Right. <laughs> we don't have enough of that. <laughs> but my friend made a good point in saying, you know, she's getting ahead of the curve. She, it's a smart business move, but it's also a smart creative move in keeping up with changing times of tr constantly trying new things so it doesn't get dry, it doesn't get dull. She's not just doing the same thing or the same equation over and over. She's trying something new and it works. It does. You know, some moments better than others, but it works. Yeah, that's the thing is like I have mixed feelings about the vocals in general but especially on this song like oh definitely with this song specifically it's like verses i are the first thing you hear and you're like mm. but then once it gets to the chorus i'm like oh that's the taylor swift i know i love the chorus on this the vocals are so flowy and just are such a taylor swift sound her old yes you sighed like you did not agree with that no it's not that i don't agree with that i guess i'm trying to find into words the thing about her rapping is it's not even that she's bad at rapping no no no, no. and it's not bad it just doesn't there's something off about it it's like i'm not trying to taylor swift is like the whitest person in the world right so you don't want the whitest person in the world rapping to you it's just not right comfortable right it's just <laughs> so that's why it's not necessarily bad because i don't think it's bad it's just like oh she shouldn't really be rapping you know but something i did with with all the songs is i made my standout lines from every song or like my favorite mm -hmm. so not necessarily even like this is i think the best line but just me personally because you know yeah instead of being constructive i was being biased here <laughs> uh with this one i said the standout line was he can be my jailer burton to this tailor 
And I know in a lot of interviews and articles I've read for critiques of reputation, so many people point out how clever this line is. Yeah, I, I actually wrote that line down in my notes too. It's a very, very clever reference. And it's, you, you got to figure it might've gone over the heads of a lot of her fan base even. Oh, it definitely did. But I mean, she's, I think she pointed out in one interview that she she didn't do a lot of interviews for Reputation because that was the point of Reputation to be like, none of this matters. This is just about the music. But when she did do an interview post it being um, released, she brought up that line. I don't remember what she said about it. I think she said she was just proud of that line. <laughs> so it wasn't like this big grand like explanation of, of oh, the, the deeper meaning behind this line. It was just like, oh yeah, that was a cool line. <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, other, other than that, the lyrics, as we were saying up top, the lyrics to this are pretty self-explanatory. It's uh, hitting back on the, this, this starts with, it's a very sexual song. Right. But it, it's such a perfect, for obvious reasons, like you said, the lyrics, we know what you're saying. And for obvious reasons, that makes it a perfect song to start the album, to introduce us to this cohesive whole thing. But also just the way the, the song starts with that throat clear at the beginning, amazing. <laughs> because she's clearing all the crap that's been piled on for years at this point. It's like, okay, now let me talk. <laughs> right. And I feel like the, the ending part of this song is my least favorite part of the song. The like chanting war cry part, the let the games begin. And it's not even that it's bad. It just goes on. It's too long. It's too long. It felt like... She, I don't, I've never seen a Taylor Swift song that's only like a minute or so long. So I feel like she thinks it, oh, I need a song to be at least three minutes and whatever seconds. Well, that's what's interesting about this whole album. I think all the songs fall in between three and four minutes, right? Except for maybe one. Yeah. She's writing with the pop format in mind, the perfect radio length. Right. She And she's kind of always done that. Like I said, I don't think I've ever seen a song under two minutes. Have you ever seen one over five? Yes. Okay. Dear John from Speak Now. <laughs> Sad song. I've seen a couple. There's a couple. No, no. I've seen a couple over four. I think the only one that was over five. And don't quote me on this. And like how terrible <laughs> that I'm like, I'm a super Taylor Swift fan. And there's people that would instantly know this, right? But I, I can't instantly tell you if there's more than one song over five minutes. But I know there's definitely one over five. So she goes for length more than like i'm just being quick about what i need to say here right and i think it's like it's for the reasons that you said that you know she's going for the pop in mind like what if i want this on the radio it needs to be in that format for radio exactly and there's nothing wrong with that but it just definitely adjusts the length of her songs right and it's just she has less reason if that's what she's going for with her music which it seems to be like she doesn't have a reason to be writing 50 second songs so Right. Well, I I think we kind of covered ready for it. Is there something we missed? Oh, no, I think that's I think that's everything that I have. Well, let's go ahead and move on to track two. End game. Pass. Like the other girls do. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to be drinking on the beach with you all over me. Trying to play. I wanna be your 
Yeah, this is without a doubt the low point of the whole album. This is the worst song by Miles. Yeah. Can I also say it's just the low point? I don't know if it's my least favorite one, but it is top five worst Taylor Swift songs for sure. Definitely the low point of the album, but definitely just a low point for my love for Taylor Swift <laughs> in general. Well, there's just nothing really interesting about it for one the the production itself the music isn't interesting the lyrics aren't good right and like if you even watch the music video it's so boring it's just you're watching entitled rich people jump from city to city and dance in clubs like i don't care about that <laughs> right and you know there's there's more of the chanting like we heard in the the last but the other thing is if you're having if your albums are autobiographical it's so weird to have guest vocalists on your song yeah i just i feel like she just wanted an excuse to record with ed sheeran because she loves ed sheeran i don't know why future is there he's the best part of the song probably well and, and it's weird because he might be the best part of the song but he sound that good like i generally do not like ed sheeran and yeah he doesn't sound good in this song <laughs> but future i don't i don't have a problem with i i enjoy some of his music but he doesn't even sound that good in this song. I think this song, similar to what we were saying with Ready For It, I think this song solely exists for radio play. Right. Because if you go back to 2017 and you listen to Endgame and you listen to the most most commonly played songs of the radio at that time, they all sound like this. So it felt like this is just, oh, this is the sound that's popular right now. I need radio play because I was in hiatus for a couple years. So I need, in case people left, because that was a fear with reputation. Like, is nobody going to be interested anymore because I took all this time off? And did I lose my brand of my, like, I'm Taylor Swift? Which was ridiculous because it's like, no, you're always going to be Taylor Swift. Right. Don't be crazy. But that was a fear. And... I feel like this was trying to compensate. Well, we need to pull new people in. We need to pull the popular thing. And this is what this is what's getting played on radio, radio stations right now. So let's do that. Right. It bugs me because it breaks the integrity of the album and it sort of contradicts the message of the rest of the album of being like, I don't care about any of that. Yeah, it is. It's really awkward. Did you even have a favorite line from this song? I did, but that's just because I'm silly. The, the favorite line was, I, don't, I swear I don't love the drama. It loves me because I'm dramatic and I like to not take credit for being dramatic. So same Taylor Swift, same. <laughs> that also highlights what I what I said, valley girl moments and stuff earlier. But let me have my valley girl moments. Let me have them. <laughs> Weird that she loves to talk about the drama that she doesn't want or that isn't her fault. She loves to talk about the drama. Yeah. But, okay, sometimes we all want to talk about the drama. Come on. I guess, but <laughs> I d honestly don't want to talk about Endgame anymore. <laughs> I don't either, so we can, we can move on. All right, well, we're going to play a little snippet of track three. All I did something bad. Taylor Swift swore. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. It didn't even make a difference to me. Is, is, there, is there that a thing? You didn't notice that. You didn't notice that line? 
No, it's not coming to my mind right now. If a man talks shit, I owe him nothing. Oh, well, I don't even think shit is a swear. You tell me that no swear words are, or, yeah, what's, what's a swear word to you? Because every swear word I tell you, you're like, that's not a swear word. You can say shit on public, on broadcast television. Okay. If you can't say it on... But for, okay, for Taylor Swift, who her fan base was mostly, like, teeny boppers, to be saying shit, it's like, ooh, like need to backtrack on that but now that she's like and that's going more with what you said earlier about it being like sexier it's also her most mature one so far right because she's like an adult now because when she's writing this she's in her mid-20s going into her late 20s so and that's uh that's part also part of this song is the anger in this song works so well it's such a very good use of anger in a song that's not and in a genre that's not about anger right exactly and it's just the the production of it the music the plucking of the violins is such great way to build tension to build up to that like feeling of like anger and anxiety of that like i love well and it's all layered in so well like the the levels of where everything sits is just it's a really well built and then surprisingly i really love the way she kind of used dubstep music for the refrain yeah and and that really hits the anger in a lot can i just say this is a great therapeutic song for driving if you're mad or you're stressed out i can't tell you how many times the job that i had when this album came out and i had to drive to work or i was driving home after work after a shift i would just be i would skip the first two tracks just to get to this song so i could angrily sing along and just get all my tension off of me so yeah it is a very angry song but in a very not angry way like <laughs> that doesn't make sense but it does so the first track is pretty self-explanatory. The second track doesn't even really say anything. What's the bad thing you think she did? Nothing. That's the point. Men are trash. That she's being accused of doing something bad and it's... Yeah. Like, the, the standout line for me here was, if a man talks shit, I owe him nothing. Because, yes, Taylor, get them. <laughs> but the other line that I wrote down was, if he spends my change, then he had it coming. I've been talking with a lot of female friends recently about how there's kind of been this role reversal of, you know, back in the day, it was like the man has to pay everything. He pays for the dates. He's got to be the breadwinner. And now it's like, well, we want things to be more equal because that isn't fair. But instead of it being equal, and you know, this isn't, this isn't everyone. This isn't a blanket statement. This is just in a lot of cases that I'm seeing and it's frustrating. It's like, well, now that like we're trying to focus on equality, it's like, okay, well, actually, I just have to pay it for and take care of this man I'm dating or this boy I'm dating. And what the first time I listened to it and the first several times I've listened to this song and this album, you know, I never caught that. Like, I've always heard that line and just been like, yeah. But now, like, listening to it with new ears, haha, <laughs> I'm taking that into, into consideration where I'm like, wow, that's a really, that's a deeper line than I even earlier understood because, <laughs> because it's true. Because it's like, if you spend my change, I owe you nothing. And I know so many people, so many girls that, like, just deal with a guy, like, financially taking advantage of them and it's ridiculous so i think it's just there's a lot of when you ask what did she do 
she didn't do anything. And it's just a lot of examples of like, well, you're accusing me of this stuff. And like, you know, they're burning the witches when you aren't even, when you aren't one, like, what did I do when you're the one being a piece of garbage? So and it's an interesting and I understand looking at it, but let me ask you a question real quick. Okay. <laughs> if there was a man singing that line and the genders were swapped, don't you think that'd be a much darker and terrible line? Oh, yes. If she spins my change, then she had it coming? Yeah, so you couldn't change. You couldn't switch it. But that's because of the gen. That's because of gender inequality. <laughs> well, right, and I I think the the connotations because of that. If are... you if you switch the genders, then it'd be like, well, she spent all my money, so I'm gonna beat the shit out of her. When nobody thinks that, like when you when you heard this line, did you think, oh, Taylor Swift's gonna beat the shit out of the guy for spending all her money? No. <laughs> no, but but what I first thought was, man, if a man saying that line and this isn't justifying or saying it's a good thing but i was like if, if i heard a man saying the like gender swapped version of that line the first thing i thought of was oh that's like men thinking that they're owed sex for spending money or something like that was the first thing that came to my mind yeah well there's a reason that it's it's not reversed <laughs> Right. Well, exactly. But it was just an interesting thought I had while while thinking about right. it. Right. But I just my point of bringing all that up is not to. I mean, I'll take the opportunity to trash garbage men when I need to. Not all men, just trash men. <laughs> but not garbage men, as in their occupation, because they do a valuable service. <laughs> they do. And they don't... Yeah, I love garbage men. No, they're my best friends. <laughs> I'm in no way attacking garbage men in my statements. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, my point being that I'm not just sitting here to, like as an excuse to be like, I hate men. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, you know, I think we're all becoming more aware of all these inequalities and all these things that are an issue and listening to it this time to prepare for, the, for our conversation. It was like, oh, like there's a lot of smaller things that aren't as obvious. In her newest album, there's a song called The Man that is very blatant and obvious about sexist men. Like I get criticized and I don't get a fair share on things because I am a woman just because I'm not a man. And it's like, this is never flat out said in this song, but you feel that almost as much in this song. And I appreciate that more because that subtlety is so, ooh. <laughs> I would agree. Why don't we move on though and play a little bit of track four, Don't Blame Me. I'd just like to start by saying that this is the first standout track on this album for me. This is sex. <laughs> but see, you you say that, but I have notes in other songs where it's like very sexual or horny. For this song, I put this is sultry. There's there's more. I mean, yes, it is sexy, but there's more. It's sexy in a way. Let me re, let me explain. It's sexy in a way that say I myself feel sexy. It's not like I'm coming at you for sex. <laughs> it's, you know, when I sing this song, when I listen to this song, it feels like I feel confident in myself. I feel like I could be sexy right now. So that's, that's what this song means for me. <laughs> right. To me, the lyrics are very, I can boil it down to a very simple statement, which is love is a drug. Oh yeah. Well, duh. 
if you <laughs> I mean that's what this song is about but also you know it's hard for me to say a lot about this song because so much of it speaks for itself just like the song before it has that really cool thing where it does does some of that dubstep sound in the in the mm -hmm. refrain and honestly you know I know she's she's loved for her voice and I'm not I don't want to say that I don't like her voice, but in this song especially, her voice sounds amazing. Yeah, to and, and to go back on, on what you said about how it's a different experience when you listen on the headphones, this, is a, this song is a perfect example of that because the first few times I would listen to it out loud because I'd be like, I need everybody, I need my whole block to hear this album because it's Taylor Swift and she's amazing. But then when I like would constantly like listen to it on my commute in headphones, I realized because at first it wasn't a standout song for me where I was like, eh, whatever, I don't care about this song that much. It's not it's Taylor Swift, so I love it by default. Right. But it's not one of my favorites. But then the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, oh my God, this is one of the best songs on the album for sure. Just the balance she walks in this song is just Right. And if you listen to there's somewhere online, there is like a a behind the scenes thing of her recording this song and it's just acapella where she's just like laying the vocals down and it's just amazing her vocals alone on this are so like damn <laughs> people do not realize how vocally talented taylor swift is because there's so much production that gets put in in her later albums especially there's so much that she's trying to accomplish and trying to do that she puts so much on top of things and it's like if you just strip that all away she just has an amazing too. And it really shines on this song. Would you like to hit us with your favorite line from this song? Yes. I once was poison out of Ivy, but now I'm your Daisy. Ooh. I think the thing is, is it's not just the lyrics to the song, but it's the way she right. delivers it. Do you want me to try song. to deliver it right now? If you really want to. I once was poison Ivy, but now I'm your Daisy. How was that? <laughs> it's it's good. It's the way she hits that right. Daisy because it's, it's, it's almost a little bit little bit lower than what you were saying uh, yeah she has a first. lower register than i do and for a long for the longest time taylor swift and i had similar registers it's just as women get older their voices drop and she's older than me so she can hit lower notes than i can at this point yeah and i think that's part of what what really works for me in this song is her going low this whole album is very low i have a hard time so i love sitting karaoke taylor swift obviously duh but it's hard for me to do any karaoke of this album. And it breaks my heart because I love this album. But because it's a little bit below my register, my range, I can't properly do these songs justice. <laughs> so I won't do it. And it breaks my heart. Something I did want to say, I think this song is a good example of what I said at the very beginning when we were talking about the album is that there's kind of two parts to this album. It's like the first half is being like, this is my, what my reputation was. Forget this. I'm killing it literally. <laughs> and then the second half is like, okay, but this is, this is reality. This is what my life is. This is what I actually feel, etc. Because, and we'll talk about it when we get to those later tracks. You know, like you said, this song, when you, when you break it down, this song is love is a drug. And the first half of the album had that feeling because it's like all these songs are like, ooh, are you ready for it? Are you ready for me? I did something bad. Loving you is a drug. But then in the second half, and we'll talk about it, it's like, no, like love should be 
this soft, comfortable thing. It should not be this addiction, this dramatic stuff. Like you said about like <laughs> Endgame, like she loves the drama and it's like, okay, I don't think she does. Like she does, but I think this first half is a character or the way that the media created this character for her. In 1989 or post-1989, she talks about this. When she wrote the song Blank Space, she wrote it in the mind space of a character in her mind. The character being someone that the media created, this man-eater, this woman that flies around the world and dates men and breaks their hearts and leaves them. And you can see that in the music video for Blank Space. You can hear that in the song. It's satirical, that song. You know, it's her. Right. So, and that's intentional. And I think that that's an example here is I feel like the first half of the album, she's just writing as a character of like, well, this is what you think I am. And this is what my reputation has been. And then when we get to that break in the album, which I'll point it out when we get there, it's like, but this is my reality. And this is what actually matters. guys. So she like, she uses it to her advantage. She makes art out of this thing that's been like killing her for so many years. That's been destroying her internally, her self-esteem, her everything. And she made art out of that in the first half and then was like, but this is me, guys, in the second half. Yeah, I it's like I said at the top, I don't have much to say because I think a lot of the song just speaks for itself and it's definitely worth people listening to. Yes, I agree. If you've only listened to like Taylor Swift when she was still a teenager, you'll be surprised by this. <laughs> you'll be like, hmm, Taylor Swift, maybe I should go check that out, wink wink. Well, let's go ahead and hear a little bit of track five, Delicate. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it chill that you're in my head? Cause I know that it's delicate. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? Cause I know that it's that like it. Isn't it? Isn't it? So I forgot to mention on Endgame just because I wanted to stop talking about it so bad. <laughs> they use the album title in the song. They also use the album title on this song. And I just feel like drop Endgame, make the subtitle of this song Reputation or something. This is the better representation of the title of the album. Yeah, I agree. So before we, we dive into this more, because we will, let me just explain something for track fives with Taylor Swift albums. So at first it was a coincidence and then it became an intentional pattern that the fifth track on every Taylor Swift album is always her most vulnerable or <laughs> let me be funny and say delicate song on the album. And at first it was an accident. And then fans would make jokes about it being like, oh, what's the track five going to be? And she's very connected with her fans via social media. And she pays attention to that stuff. And she considers these things and these notes in her art, which is kind of cool. Um, so it became a thing where she it purposely and intentionally at track five is like, let me put the most vulnerable thing I'm saying or feeling or doing at track five. So talking about that, this is, like you said, this is such a great representation of reputation as a whole because it's overall it is vulnerable because she's like this my life for so long was people telling me what I am or who I was or that it was bad it wasn't good and this is me trying to put myself out there again after I went in hiding 
for that reason. Well, also just musically, it's that it touches on like grooves outside of what she usually does. Like I love the kind of rhythm and groove of this song. Yeah. And the echoey like vocals are so like, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the song repeats a lot, which is kind of what we were saying at the top. A lot of her lyrics are very repeating. It's not as bad here as it was in some of the earlier songs. And and I will say that in like at first I did I wasn't a fan of this song, but it's it this was another one that grew on me over time. And I think it's because the meaning of the song changed for me. That on surface level, it's a relationship, like a new relationship has begun and it's delicate as most new relationships are because anything that's new, like you gotta tread lightly because like one wrong thing and it's like, see ya. But listening to it this time, I was like, I feel like it's more talking about her relationship with herself is delicate because of everything she went through. Like, I still believe it. It it obviously is about a delicate relationship with this new person you're starting to see, right? But I feel like that second layer is, well, it's delicate because, and what backs this theory up is if you watch the music video for this album, it's her dancing around in the rain and in a hotel room and nobody sees her. Like she's not invisible to us, obviously, because that would defeat the point of having a music video. (laughs) But nobody sees her and that's just a reflection on what she thinks and and going back to what i said about this album that she felt like nobody actually saw her for her and that's what she's trying to say in this first half of being like this is not me this is not what i want guys not to cut you off but i think that that's part of what's working for her in this album is she's used things for two ways instead of one yeah i agree i feel i mean she's just getting older at this point so she can be more you know, as a 19-year-old writing a whole album by herself, basically, which is what she did with Speak Now, it's like, you can't get super, like, complex on your own when you're just a kid. But now that she's, like, had years under her belt, and she has these people that are, like, years of experience and stuff, they can help her get there. And she got there here. Every song is pretty, it's complex, <laughs> besides Endgame. <laughs> that has, like, the, right. all these different meanings and interpretations. I also think, you know, this song keeps up. I feel like this is a very sexual song. Maybe not the whole song, but there are moments of this song that are very sexual. Yeah, like you said, it does feel like she is more sex. It's just because she's older, though. I don't, to you, it probably feels like it's more sexual but i just feel like oh yeah this is normal she's just growing up that's all i don't know specifically there's a line in this song do the girls back home touch you like i do and even just the way she says it it sounds very very explicit right i get it well, what was your favorite line from this song my favorite line you should guess what my favorite line is from this i i can audience i already know what her favorite line is i hear it often okay so your favorite line is dive bar on the east side where you at yes ding 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 you get a prize (laughs) it's not even like there's probably there's better lines in the song but it's just so like i don't know it just gets me well i think as i was saying like the the groove or the rhythm of the song i think the rhythm of those words just have a certain the rhythm of those words with the rhythm of the song itself just works so great for me where it gets caught in my head all the time i'm just like so the reason he knows that my that's my favorite line is because a lot of the times I'll text him or like call him on the way home or like whatever and be like dive bar on the east side where you at (laughs) just instead of saying where are you right it's more fun that way right yeah sure let's play a little bit of track six look what you made me do
This song confuses me so much. Yeah. Not what it's about, but the, it confuses me so <laughs> right, much. Right, you just didn't understand what it was. No, the lyrics are a lot, okay? The vocals They're are a lot. They're a lot of good. The lyrics are a lot of... Hmm. No, there are some moments where the vocals are not... I'd let, let me just flat out say, this song had such a contrast. Like, I originally thought I hated this song. Oh, yeah, I can attest to that. <laughs> When I was listening to it on speakers, it just sounded like garbage. <laughs> and then when I put on headphones and listened to it on headphones, the whole time, the music and the sounds and the production underneath it are so great. And like, there's these great glitches and bloops in the background going on the whole time. Like listening to this song on headphones is such a completely different experience than hearing it from speakers. Yeah, I have a friend who also was just like, you know, at first when she heard it on the radio a couple of times, like everyone else was like, mm, cause there's a lot of people that are like, Ugh, about this song, because when you listen to it on speakers out loud, it is a lot, it's just a lot of noise at you. And that's for people that get sensory overload, it's like, stop. <laughs> but when, when you can just zone in, when there's nothing else going on, on top of all this noise, it's like you can appreciate those moments more, you know, that like, oh, like there was a lot of thought put into all these like choices. And the other thing is, the, the other thing I wanted to say about the music is it starts that little like interlude party. It, ha it has such a like Disney song sound. Mm -hmm. And with, with the first time you hear it, I'm just kind of like, I don't like it. But then when it comes in later in the song with the vocals over it, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. But I think this song, like a lot of these songs have been, at least one of the meanings has been about relate this relationship. But this song isn't about that. This song is about her media relations and her relationships with other celebrities more than it is about other men. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, no, this isn't really a song about. I mean, I have a friend who she's going through a breakup around the time this album came out. And she was like, this song helped me a lot. So like it can be used for that. But I do not think that that's what this was intended for. It's just like, look what you made me do for like anybody, like anyone that you're having some sort of tussle with. Well, before you give your line, I will say as much as the, the refrain and, and parts of the second verse that I don't like lyrically, there was a line that just caught me that I appreciated. And that line was, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. Yeah, I agree. She has, there are moments in this song. That's why I said, I wasn't saying they're a lot, like they're all terrible. It's just a lot because she has, it's what we talked about earlier. There's like parts where it's like, yes. And then there's just like parts where it's like, no, what are you doing? Like, for example, the bridge when she, she's like, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead. The first time I heard that, I literally screamed out loud, oh, get over yourself. I was like, no, stop it. She loves doing that. She loves having those talking right. bridges in her songs, which is fine, but like she does it a lot. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing is there. there's plenty of artists who do that where I'm usually like, yeah, that was dead on. But that's also often where she adopts that whole Valley Girl persona the most too. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So it's just like, you, it's a wasted opportunity because it's like, if you're going to do something right with it there, then great. But like, it's just like, it just comes off as whiny. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying is this song is such a weird contradiction because there are some moments of this song that are so fantastic. Was that the intention you think maybe? It's supposed to be a contradiction maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe she's trying to, to push some envelopes with this song. Okay. Let's just 
let's just spell it out. A lot of people think this, and it's never been confirmed or anything, but a lot of people think it's about her tiff with Kanye West. Right. So, like, he contradicted the hell out of himself because he would constantly be like, you know, me and Taylor are fine now, but then he'd be, like, writing, like, I made that bitch famous and all this garbage and talk crap about her. And it's, it's very contradicting because he'd be like, let's mend these fences. Let's fix this. Like, oh, I'm over this. And then just go turn around and do something bad. Well, yeah. And I don't think that's this will be the last time on this album that is brought up. We talk about that. Oh, no. We're going to deep dive into it on track 13. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Hank Hill's coming. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your favorite line from this? My favorite line from this one is, I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. That's a pretty good line. It's just such, it's a fun line because it's like. It is a fun line. Yeah. You need, this is supposed to be kind of a fun song too. Even though it's angry and contradictory, it's supposed to be a fun song. So. Did we miss anything? No, I'm good. Well, why don't we go ahead and play some of track seven. So it goes. Number on me, but honestly, baby, who's counting? I had one note for this song, really? so I'm really interested to see what you what you have to say about this song. I have uh, not a lot, but but definitely more than one. What's your one note? I'm more curious to know what the one thing you had to say about it's this. It's not song. that it's it's sexual the song is very sexual well of course so for me this is the break this is the second this is when the second half hasn't begun but this is where the second half and if this album had an interlude this is the interlude i feel and i feel i I have evidence to back that up because this is the only song that wasn't played live at reputation however it was played while people were filling up the stadium when people were leaving, when people were in periods of waiting in between sets, this was played. So it is definitely a like intermission interlude thing. So I I really think that this song is meant to just be here mostly. It's like it's like, hey, let's like be fun and sexy, like you said, but its purpose in its placement in the album is to be like, okay, well, this is just a little break because now we're going to get into what I really think and feel. And and I can see what you mean. If this album has a switch in tone, this is, this is kind of like the break. This song helps go in between the two tones. Right. And okay. So this is, this is dumb. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even necessarily know how this started, but Taylor Swift has a lot of inside jokes with her Swifties, which is what you call Taylor Swift fans, if you don't know. I think that's self-explanatory. I am a hardcore Swiftie. I think we all know that at this point. So when she started touring for Reputation, after a couple shows, this thing started happening. And this isn't written in the song, obviously, because you would have heard it. But no, because So It Goes wasn't played. What am I talking about then? Right, because she didn't play. She didn't sing so it goes. I can't remember no. for sure. She didn't play So It Goes. I know for a fact. So why did she sing? She might have done a medley of some sort. She might have kind of put it in there. But she goes, So It Goes, and then goes one, two, three. You caught that part, right? Where she goes, one, two, three. Yeah, she says, baby who's counting. Yeah, baby who's counting. And then she goes, 
one, two, three. So an inside joke, just in case you're curious, is on the live tours, when she'd go one, two, three, everyone shouts, let's go, bitch. <laughs> like one, two, three, let's go, bitch. That's funny. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> like you can look up videos of her performing. I'm almost certain she didn't perform the whole song, so I don't know how it came up live. Or maybe maybe what happened is she only chose to perform it certain nights. Because she definitely, when I went to see it, I saw the first show in Chicago in July of 2018. And I know she didn't play the full song. And she might have not done that at our show. But I know that at live shows for Reputation, that's happened where she does one, two, three. And she doesn't say it. She did it once. I, I, can't, I haven't found the recording for it, but I had a bunch of, like, Swift blogs that they're like, she did it last night, guys. But, like, there's a lot of recordings of her going one, two, three. And you just hear the echo of the stadium. Let's go, bitch. And it's great. So, so I, I was, I was looking online at the lyrics just to kind of see if there's something I missed. And one note on the lyrics is something I, I'd love to believe, but I don't think I will. And this is from, from the site Lyrics Genius or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it says the line, so it goes from the novel Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which I love the book and I understand what they're trying to say, but the rest of it is the book was written in 1969. He says the line several times in the novel, whenever a death occurs as a narrative transition to another subject. So do you think that that is a true thing here? Or do you think that's just someone reaching? What are you asking? Do you think that when she says, so it goes, it's a reference to Kurt Vonnegut? Or do you think this person is just reaching? I think they're just reaching. I don't think she was putting that much like thought into it possibly i don't i don't really picture taylor swift reading vonnegut though <laughs> i i don't either i can't see that in my head at all like i'm i'm sure she's very well read because if you actually like listen to her like in interviews and stuff she and vid videos like she's an, an intellectual person <laughs> like she's articulate so it's not like she's not well read she's a writer like hello but i just don't picture that being her style or the type of stuff she chooses to read me neither well what was your favorite line from this song i just i didn't have like a major i mean the one two three let's go bitch is fun but that's not a real line from the song come here dressed in black now all right i don't know i just thought that like you said it's sexy so i'm like come here dressed in black Ooh. <laughs> but one last thing i will say before we move on to the next track i do think that the end felt abrupt where it just like stops. I don't know if you didn't feel that. Maybe I'm just bananas. I, I think it kind of worked. I mean, I'm not arguing that it's not abrupt. Right. So it was abrupt. My second point of that was it's the sudden ripoff of a bandaid. And I think going back to my theory about this being like, okay, now we're starting part two of the album is okay, we're ripping off the Band-Aid for that fresh start. That makes sense. Here we go. <laughs> One, two, three, let's go, bitch. <laughs> well, let's go indeed and hear the eighth song on the album. Gorgeous. This is um, the most upbeat song on this whole album. 
Oh yeah, it's fun. Without a doubt, it's the beat is good. I feel like the title says it all about what the song is, but also this is this is a weird double standard or something. I, not a double standard. This is the most Valley Girl song on the whole album, but I don't have a problem with it on this song. Because it's kind of like, it goes back to what, what I said about Blank Space. It's like, well, that's, she's purposely being a Valley Girl in this moment. <laughs> you know, if you're doing something on purpose, it's like, okay, that's more acceptable. And in this moment, it's like, well, what she's saying, of course, like, she's going to be a valley girl about that. <laughs> right. It's just, it, there's, it's like a nervous, giggling schoolgirl almost feel, which is what she's going for. Right. And I do, I do feel like, <laughs> I don't know why in my notes, but I've compared this to Blank Space a lot because I love the bell. I love, like, the imagery that creates for me because it reminds me of the click of the pen in blank space. Uh-huh. Like, almost, like, not light bulb, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, almost a light bulb flashing, like, oh, damn, look at him. <laughs> that's, like, the cartoon noise for an idea light bulb. Exactly. Right, exactly. So that's what, it's such, I love when she does things like that in her songs. It's it's such a great use of, of like, imagery in, in a song with, like, these weird noises. <laughs> that you wouldn't necessarily hear in a song like a clicking of a pen or a dinging of a bell. Yeah, and I think she's already mentioned it once at this point in the album, but I think this is another part where she talks about how, I mean, you can really pin down what relationship she's talking about because she says that she's been dating older men. It comes up on this album. We already missed one of the references, but it comes up on this album a lot. Yeah. But it, it's mentioned for sure in this song. Right, and the, the, again, goes back to my theory about this is the first song where it's like, okay, we're getting into like, what this is all actually about where it's like hey i've been dating these older guys but who are you <laughs> right <laughs> but i just love the music itself in this the like synth duh, 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 duh. like i yeah. can't so love that so much i can't even express it to you i do i have no words for how much i love that it's such a like it makes me just want to like shake and can i just say this song is just as dramatic as i am while, while also being fun and upbeat, like you said. And it is the perfect combination, and I love it, because it's being dramatic while also just being so, the energy's so high. Well, and the other great thing is, is like one of the things I, I appreciate and enjoy about this album is how dark it is. Yeah. But you have to have kind of an upbeat song like this within it. Right, and I don't, maybe you'll disagree with me and we'll get to it, but I don't think this is the only song that has a darker idea or message in it but a like upbeat woo right right <laughs> i'm just making noises at this point because gorgeous is just noises but like beautiful noises i just really love this song <laughs> i'm not professional enough to talk about this bridges be bumping was something i wrote also cats ill agreed do you want me to mention my my line or do you have other things to say no i i think I think the the song really speaks for itself in a lot of ways. Like you said, that like do 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 that goes on throughout the whole song is really great. So why don't you go ahead and tell us your favorite line? My favorite line is whiskey on ice, sunset and vine. Which I should mention, this is not the whole line, but let me pause in the middle of the line to say whiskey on ice, sunset and vine. Someone went on like Google Maps and put sunset and vine and it is a location of a place. So she is like writing an experience here. And that is so cool that she talking about a time that she was literally in a club, which is what she's saying. She's like, I'm in the club and I see this guy. And it's like, oh, like this line so perfectly captures that. Like you have whiskey 
you're on this bar on this street corner and you see this guy like that's i love that that like makes it so real for us well that also ties into the next song too but we'll get there let me finish the line yeah let me live this i love this it's whiskey on ice sunset and vine you ruined my life by not being mine ding yeah <laughs> the ding is written into the lyrics right yeah the, the ding is written into the lyrics you have to say the ding but i just love that like i relate to that so hard how many times has a boy ruined my life by not just letting him like why can't we just do this guy like as like a 13 14 year old you know how many boys ruin my life then they still ruin my life <laughs> i'm teasing well, do we have uh, anything else to say about Gorgeous? It's perfect. Well, it's perfect. It's gorgeous. That's what I have to say. I think you're saying that Gorgeous might be one of your big standouts of this album. Yeah, it is. It was, it was the, it was, wasn't technically released as a single, but it came out a week before the album dropped as like a, hey guys, get ready, it's coming. And it was just so, it was my favorite song to be dropped before the album came out it just really got me excited about it that like oh it's not all just gonna be because up until that point it was like ready for it look what you made me do and it's like oh it's not just all gonna be dark and different right this is still different but it's like upbeat and like it's still darker but it's like no this is this is fun and this is taylor swift yeah well let's play a little bit of track nine <gasps> getaway car This is my favorite song on the album. It could possibly be one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs, if not my favorite Taylor Swift song. Well, that's saying a lot, but it is the this is another song where the production is really fantastic. And and like you were saying about Gorgeous, where you can pinpoint a moment, this is a moment where I can pinpoint Taylor being very clever about her lyrics. Oh yeah. Because the line, think about the place where you first met me, yeah, is a reference to the Met Gala where she met her current partner and and the partner she was with before yep <laughs> it's so smart <laughs> that's so clever of her because it still works in the line right. the, the lyrics are so clever but at the same time the music is so driving like this song i cannot not wave my arms in the air i have to like go crazy i have to just throw myself around when i hear this song i have to sing along and this is what we just talked about with gorgeous this is a song it's like i can listen to this when i'm happy because it's like yeah we're driving a getaway car but it, i can listen to it when i'm mad because i'm gonna get in that getaway car and get the fuck away from you you're right <laughs> i can listen to it when i'm sad because you're crying in the getaway car because everything's rough so you gotta get away like it's just like the all around this hits everything for me but yeah it's the lyrics are so clever. It's just, I'm so mad that this wasn't a single. And I feel like she did that on purpose where she was just like, this is just for my fans. Like, I'm not trying to do a radio hit here. This is just for them. Well, that makes sense. Cause it could very much be a radio song. 
It very easily could have been. I kind of wish it had been just because how excited would I have been every time this came on the radio? I'd Well, there'd be a lot of car crashes if that were the case. So maybe <laughs> it's not good because I'd like start swinging my arms. I'm like, if I'm driving, that's chaotic. But even if I'm not driving, that's distracting to the person who is driving. And like, we don't need to do that. Let me also just say the song for me, besides the things I've already said, it's about freedom. The feeling of driving in a car. So it's literally a getaway car and just breaking away from the negative because there are negatives of this. The person, the media, like the beginning of the song is like, uh, X marks the spot where we fell apart. You poisoned the well. I was lying to myself. So she's like, I'm staying with this bad person and I'm lying to myself about it. So it's like, there are these darker, similar to what you said about gorgeous. It's darker. But it's like, this is like the freedom of breaking away from that. And I love that. Yeah. Because if you're happy, then you're just happy. But if you're like not happy yet, the song helps you get there because it's like, hey, this terrible shit's happening to you, but it's okay because you can get away from it in your getaway car. Right. In, in, in the sense for Taylor Swift, it's like, it feels like it's her getaway car to get away from that, the reputation she had to deal with, to get away from the media to get away from Kanye West or anyone else that's just being trashed to her. To get away from the relationship that she was in that wasn't working. Right, exactly. You get it, see? <laughs> yeah. I, I, my, my other big note about this song was that I really loved the end of it. What part? Well, the end, but, like, tell me. <laughs> like, just the way the music ends. Like, the song itself ends. Well, like right, because it doesn't, like, end with, like, a lyric. It's, like, it takes a minute still, and then it, and then it trickles off, and it's, like, yeah and you still get that yeah or whatever that sound the <laughs> thing going you know what i'm talking about right <laughs> yes yeah two things with lyrics so the crying dying saying goodbye that's repeated like you said the repetition of things throughout this album so that's a that's an example of that but i felt like i feel like that helps capture the emotional exhaust of letting go of something and isn't good for you. Right. And it feels great. So when we get that, I love that it's repeated. I love that that's there because, and it also just like the vocals, like they're rising with that. Like the second time she says it, it's like, it's larger. Right. And it's like, that's such a great feeling for anyone that feels like they need to like, just let go of something. This is such a great let go and just feel good song. <laughs> and that is why I love it so much. Right. My favorite line is put the money in the bag and I stole the keys. That was the last time you ever saw me because it's very clever. And also like the, so Taylor Swift with these, she released a couple videos on YouTube about the making of each song. So mm -hmm. if you're enjoying us talking about this and you've enjoyed reputation, I recommend going to find those because it's interesting to see her work on creating these songs and working through the lyrics because it, that's also just my favorite line because of that video, particularly the making of Getaway Car, because the like excitement her and her co-writer get when they hit that line is so, it's such pure joy, which is what I feel when I listen to this song. So Getaway Car is amazing. You can't disagree. The end. <laughs> well, if that's the case, Wait, then we're going to go this, Was this one of the, let me just ask, was this one of the standouts or no? It was not, but I will you say this one. My feelings. <laughs> I will say this one is a, a Jack Antonoff production. It is. And Jack Antonoff is a god. 
there were, there's a few we haven't mentioned everyone so far but his production style really works with her and this is just another point did of you like this song though it's yeah. not a standout but it's amazing yeah i liked this song <sighs> it's perfect <laughs> let's go ahead and play a little bit of track 10 king of my heart before we talk about this can i just say tracks 8 through 11 are my jam okay the end like this is just this part of the album is my butter like i am just in heaven are you saying eight through 11 are the standout tracks for you? Not necessarily. It's just like my personal bias is like when I hit this, when I'm like, if I'm like, I'm listening to Reputation right now or today or whatever while I'm doing something, it's like when I hit Gorgeous, I'm like, all right, let's go. This is the best. I just, there's not a song that breaks them up where I'm like, eh, skip, let me get to the next good song. Like that's just the great sequence of songs for me. So King of My Heart, sorry. <laughs> I, I don't have much to say about it. There's some cool things going on in the production. Like, I love the snaps in the song. Yeah. Like, I love the way that works with it. I love that part where there's, like, the, the chopped vocals. Mm -hmm. Like, I really appreciated that. But all in all, to me, this is just, like, just kind of a love song. It is. And it's funny that you're like, I don't have a lot to say about this because I think this is a standout for me. Maybe that's also because I've heard the acoustic version. So there's an acoustic version on YouTube where she plays the song on a guitar at an engagement party for one of her fans because she loves to do that. She loves to just like pop up for people, which is really cool. The production on it is cool, but I also like hearing the acoustic version when you just break it down to the simplicity of like, this is just a love song. And this is, it, it's what you said, because I felt the first time I heard it, it's like, oh, well, this is the song when you're like, this is when I found my person. And it's the echoey vocals again. I love that. I feel like she uses that so much here and it just works so well throughout this album. Yeah, but it, they're not even, they're, like I was saying, they're not just echoey, but there's a chopped thing to them too. Right. That's what I mean when I'm saying echoey. Yeah. I, I don't know how to talk about music. It's similar to Delicate in that sense, though, the, that arch in that story as a whole you know it, it's going back to that you know the the literal sense of delicate where it's like oh this relationship's delicate and then it's blossoming it's like that next step in that story arch where it's like well i found you you're the king of my heart type of thing um i will say i loved loved the live version of this song you can see it and a good quality of it in the reputation uh, stadium tour movie on Netflix. It's currently at the time of this recording, it's on there. Who knows if it'll be taken down? I doubt it though, because Taylor Swift seems to be good with Netflix. Um, so I'd recommend going to watch that just to hear the live versions of these songs we've been talking about, but per particularly with this one, I love the drums because it, she they add it's for costume change, obviously, that's the actual intention of it. But she, like, at the end of the song, she disappears. And we get like her dancers playing and like her, the people playing these cool drums 
and like her backup vocalist doing these really cool ah vocal mm-hmm. it really added a layer for me i love the bridge on this i'm sorry i'm just going through my notes yeah <laughs> like you had said i also wrote down a lot of snapping yeah there's just been a lot of snapping in this album in general i feel like this song there was a ton of snapping but i feel like there's just been a lot of like oh snaps <laughs> and maybe that's for that reason be like oh snap right. but it's also a poetry thing you know what i mean yeah, I could see that. What you mean by that? Right. When you you don't clap after a poem, you snap. So right. and and during this time, one of the like extra things she was selling with the album was like little booklets where she had written poems. So this was a very poetic time for Taylor on top of it being like, I'm writing this story for you. So I feel like this was a very writerly album for her where a lot of the focus which is interesting because there's so much focus on the production. And there's so much going on there, but it feels like there's just so much more focus on the writing too. Well, the production is part of, I mean, the music writing itself is the production. So I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just think that's why this is such a like superior album too. It's such a good album because it's like, there's just everything about it is next level. Not just the music, not just the writing of the lyrics or the performance of it, because one, she has a greater vocal range. It's just everything feels like this is just stronger. I I think it goes back to she had something to say. Right. And she said it. (laughs) And this is just, this is a love song. And I love that. You do love a love song. I do love a love song. People know that about me. It felt authentic, I think, too. Yeah, there is an authenticity to this song for sure. Yeah, I love the bridge. It feels very realistic like they climbing up to the roof drinking out of cups plastic cups that sort of thing like it's very like okay like that's a thing that you do with somebody um my standout line say you fancy me not fancy stuff clever wordplay yeah that that's definitely probably the best line in this song to me it is yeah it's i just i'm for that cleverness there it reminds me of one of my favorite albums is and this is Maybe someday people will hear about it on this podcast, but it's kind of an art rap album. It's it's by Friends and Alley, and the name of the the album is Don't Let Nerds Take Over Your Life. But on that album, there's a line where he says, your girl likes precious metals, my girl likes effect pedals. It's kind of a similar (laughs) thought. Right. But yeah, this was a standout for me because I felt like it was an authentic love song, not just like a sappy, like, oh, this is nice. Like it felt authentic and the different versions I've heard of it. I love every one of them for different reasons. And when a song can be like taken in multiple different layers and ways, and it's still like, oh, I love each of these versions for different reasons. That's a good song for me. So that's why it's a standout. Also, I should mention Getaway Car. Obviously, I don't need to say that that was a standout, right? Everyone realizes that that's a standout for me. Yeah. So. Well, let's go ahead and play some of Dancing With Our Hands Tied. All right, that was a little bit of dancing with our hands tied. It definitely is one of the most 80s feeling songs at times on this album. Yeah, I agree with that. But also, maybe that's why 
what I'm about to say is the case, but I think it's an amazing, it's probably the best acoustic song. Uh, like when she goes acoustic with this song, it's amazing. Well, I'd be interested to hear that because one of the you other have. things I... I... <laughs> I'd be interested to hear that now with better knowledge of the song. Right. Because one of the things about this is that kind of is a little bit different. It doesn't have that that 80s sound as much as the, the verses, especially. There's a lot of really bombastic refrains on this album. And for some reason, I thought the refrain was one of the weaker bombastic moments of this album. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of all that <laughs> yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to disagree with you. Well, I think the, the song is kind of about romance in the tabloid spotlight i i kind of saw it as song for underdog and how so is that weird no i just just explain it it's like we'll beat those odds they're dancing with their hands tied their hands are tied behind their back you know it's funny that you say that you're like this is 80s vibe and i i agree it is and that there's that dancing with your hands tied because the other really 80s song that she has is on lover afterglow and lyrics from that are your hands were tied behind your back so i'm wondering what is her t- what is her connection between 80s like beats and music <laughs> and people's hands being tied i don't know like i don't know that's it might just be a coincidence but that's interesting to think about yeah i think so i agree with that i see what you why you say what you were saying but i feel like the dancing with our hands tied is is it's performative that's why i said the thing about in the tabloid spotlight it's we're not really dancing for ourselves or right i that makes sense but but this goes back to what we've been saying with a lot of these songs is there's different interpretations which shows that it's a good not just with songs but with writing in general if people can take different interpretations from it that normally not always but that normally means like that you have something there you know yeah it's always nice to be able to experience something your own way yeah exactly i didn't write a lot for this even though it's it's one of my favorites i don't know i didn't have a lot to say for it i didn't have a lot of things to say about it either honestly that's why when you 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 were talking about the music i was just like yeah because like that kind of summarized i didn't have anything to add to it yeah well i I don't want to give this song uh it's due time, but if we don't really have much more to say about it, what's your favorite line? I don't want people to think this isn't a good, like, oh, well, there's not much to say about it. Because it's, I think it's a sweet song. From my interpretation of it, it's, it's sweet. From your interpretation, it's still sweet, just in a different way. Yeah, it's it's trying to remain sweet amidst all the pressure. Yeah, exactly. But my, my favorite line was, so baby, can we dance? through an avalanche the, the rhyme of dance and avalanche is it's an interesting rhyme for sure yeah that's what what hooked me there but i also i like that feeling of like still trying that's where i got that underdog feeling like we're we're still going even though there's an avalanche on us like it's like the band plays on while the ship goes down yeah it's titanic right <laughs> this right. is her titanic <laughs> her heart will go on yeah her heart will go on even though her hands are tied right (laughs) yeah i love it that's bottom line that's the bottom line (laughs) well if that's the case (laughs) let's just go ahead and and get to the next one track 12 dress Even in my worst times, you can see the 
flashback to my mistakes, my rebounds, my earthquakes. Even in my worst lies, you saw the truth in me. And I woke up just in time. I can't see this song doing anything but further the themes of, of sexuality or sexual nature. Before we say anything else, this is not, and I repeat, it is not about Ed Sheeran. Okay? Okay. So a lot of people for a while were like, oh my God, Ed Sheeran is one of Taylor Swift's best friends. And it's one of the lines is, I don't, what, I can't I don't want of, you as a best friend. Yeah, I don't want you as a best friend. So take this dress off. Like, that's not the line, but <laughs> so take this dress off. Right. I wish that was the line. I only bought this dress so you could take it off. So a lot of people were like, oh, my God, is she being romantic with Ed Sheeran? Or is she, like, pining after him and then nothing happened? Like, did he diss her? And it's, like, stupid. It's like, shut up. No, not about Ed Sheeran. I would uh, have never guessed that. I didn't either. And then on all these threads, I saw people being like, Oh, is it about Ed Sheeran, do you think? Best friend. She says best friend. Like, like you can't have more than one best friend. Well, I wanted to say that the early parts of this song really, really had a Cindy Lauper feel to me. Uh, I don't know if you got that. Yeah, yeah, I did. But that's the nice thing is that the production behind in this song is a very slow build. Yeah. Which, which is the very nice thing about this song. Yeah, I agree. I started to almost like run out of steam a little bit just because I felt like I had to say more about the beginning of the album. Not because it's, it's not necessarily that it's not as strong, but because I tend to lean towards the later part of the album more. I'm just way more familiar with it. So I was like, I got that. I don't need to like say a lot. But now I'm wishing I had like gone back and made no more note of what I was noticing while listening. But I, I just feel like there were... It feels like these things are more obvious. Yeah. And I don't need to pay attention as much. Like with the first half of what we've talked about, I felt like I really had to stop and pay attention to catch these things. And with this, it's like nothing seems to be too like hidden. Like, oh, you need to like go back and listen and catch this. Like, it just seems like it's very like flat, flat out there. Like what, what she's trying to say and what this song is. Yeah. And unlike the, the track end game, which was like, oh, the production isn't even that good. Like, it's not that the production is bad on this song, but aside from the fact that there is that slow, soft build I mentioned, there's really not much to say. It, it fits what she's going for here, but there's nothing that's just like, there's nothing that stands out distinctly about it. That is just like, well, this one part or. I will say I did make a note for myself that, uh, there's a rest in the music in uh, during the chorus, like one of the last times she, she sings the chorus uh, at the word stop. Everything rests for a moment. And I think that was an interesting choice because it's sort of leading into the closing of the album, I feel like. Like these last three songs are like wrapping up everything that she's been building toward. Yeah, I would agree. Do, do you want to say your favorite line from this? But, and then we'll talk about those last three songs. Sure. So my favorite line was flashback to my mistakes, my rebounds, my earthquakes. And I think it's funny because similarly to the last one, I don't know. These like natural disasters are just really, really doing it for me with Taylor Swift. <laughs> Avalanches, fair. earthquakes, you name it. It works. That's fair. I do think we're, we're, we're moving on after this song. It's it, the, these last three songs are like kind of the final movement of this album. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's especially why I made that, that comment about that stop, because I feel like that was intentionally placed there to be like, okay guys, like 
this is the, you know, like at live shows, it's like, okay, bye. But you know, it's not real bye. It's like, okay, now what everyone came here for, get ready right. for it. So this is, this is like, hey guys, get ready for it. Are you ready for it? <laughs> right. That's a fair assessment. Well, let's go ahead and play some of track 13. This is why we can't have nice things. So like we were just saying, we're, we're moving into this final movement of this album, kind of tying up and wrapping things up together. I'm just going to go ahead and say this is, I usually like to pick three to four standout tracks. The whole last three songs are, uh, all last of these last three songs are stands out. This, I feel like the, this album is strong in general, but I feel like the way it ends is a very strong ending with these last three songs. I agree. I'm so happy that you felt that way and that you think that because I, it really is that you need all three of it to really hit the punch of, of the sequence of this is what this whole album, what I was trying to do, what the purpose was, what I was trying to say, you know, like you need that, like, you know, this is why I can't have nice things or this is why we can't have nice things is like, Hey, this sucks. This is why we can't have nice things because of all this garbage I talked about. And then we'll talk about, we'll talk about a, because I don't want to go too far ahead. We'll get to those. Yeah. But the, again, the thing that's going on in a lot of this album, there's such great, there's such great layering and especially the music is greatly layered in here, but the vocals are so greatly layered in this song too. And I don't know what kind of effect or mod they throw on it, but I love the woo woo noise. But, oh Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's so perfect. And there's there's some cool things happening lyrically in this song. But one of them, I hesitate to give too much credit. Like the line, <laughs> feeling, feeling so Gatsby for that whole year is pretty good when, when it's by itself. But I also feel like this album came out not that long after the great Gatsby movie came out. Yeah. So it's all, it was already out there. It wasn't something she was just pulling from thin air. Yeah. Like I feel feel like if it was, if it, if the Gatsby movie hadn't already been in the zeitgeist, that line would have way better. No, she definitely pulls from like pop culture for her writing for sure. Right. And that's something but, that's been happening in the mainstream at the, maybe like, well, I think that movie came out maybe like within five years of this album coming out. Exactly. So. Exactly. But the, another thing is such a good lyrical flow is in the, the lines Therein lies the issue. Friends don't try to trick you, get you on the phone and might mind twist you. The flow of that, those four lines is really good. And of course it's great with the music, but just the, the like wordplay and yeah, that not wordplay. <laughs> that that's great. Cause you picked out my, my favorite line or my standout line was, was what you just said. The whole thing that plus the, so I took an ax to amended fence. Right. I And that line's good in context of the song, but it doesn't have the same flow that the... It doesn't have the same flow, no. But I think 
in addition to like that all together like I want all of that and I wanted that to all be included in what I say is like the my favorite line from it because it's like that idea is interesting like taking an axe to a mended fence like I, I I love that image that that creates right and we well, said we'd talk about it more earlier but this song is definitely kind of referential to the whole Kanye West thing right? oh yeah because that's the mended fence that's being broken because like what like months after they were like seen at an award show hugging and laughing together there's all this drama His, her brother's throwing out kanye west sneakers like all this all this stuff it, it totally is to all that nonsense but i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to that but the here's to the blank part really like this song would be so much better if there was something better done at that part you know, it's one thing to kind of have like a valley girl persona and just be that. But when you're crafting songs like like she does, I know she thinks about her lines and works on them really hard. So the line like, here's to my mama for putting up with all this drama. I wouldn't feel good about putting that in a song. Yeah, I agree. It's just you have to keep in mind that it is pop and it's like that's really simple here's to my mama, had to listen to all this drama. And it's also just to be able to do that, those like funny vocals with, with these words, you know? Those are easy sounds and consonants to hit those like dr- mama, drama, you know? Right. <laughs> just making funny noises now. <laughs> right. And it is, it, it isn't not funny, but it's just... Because I feel because... like that's a, th- that's a thing... It's another thing that she's doing with this song is that she's sort of laughing all of it off at the end. That's that's kind of this resolution is okay. At the end of the day, I'm I'm getting the last laugh. I'm laughing all this stuff off. So it's it's the production of it is is silly. You can't deny like those those vocals. Ooh, like that's that's a silly noise. That reminds me of one of those like that you know those like toys that make that noise like Whoa. oh yeah like the tubes <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of, and that's silly and fun. And the song is supposed to be slam fun. The it closed out the reputation tour and it's just so big and like people are dancing, they bring out a fountain that's shooting water, and it's it's supposed to be like fun and silly and saying, like, well, I'm I'm having a good time, guys. And that's fair. I guess maybe for my personal taste, it didn't land that way to me. And that I mean, that's part of why music's so interpretive. Yeah. But yeah, it just that part of the song really brings it down and it brings me to something that i i hinted on earlier but i feel like the more she gives a name to this drama the more she's asking for the drama yeah i mean i I hate to be like i don't victim blaming is the wrong term but i i hate to like come across that way but it's just like well if you don't care about this drama if you don't want to be about this drama why are you talking about it why are you talking about it so much because she dies because it's easy to be like i don't care but if, mo- okay, most of the time when people say they don't care, it means they really, truly care a lot. And Taylor Swift just said, Taylor Swift's the type of person that really, truly cares. She cares about what people, she cares too much about what people think, and that's her problem. That's her problem here, because it's like, just let it go. Like, the Kanye West thing could have just been let go a long time ago, but because she's got to have everyone like her. This is why it got drawn into this ridiculous the thing not to say i hate kanye west so like <laughs> i do not think he's a good person so i'm not defending him or saying like oh it's fine i'm just saying like and and it's hard because it happened to her when she was 18 19 years old 
Like, that's rough to happen to, like, a veteran musician, artist, you know? But to happen to a, like, 18 or 19-year-old girl, <laughs> like, you know, it, that's why it stung even worse for her. But it's just, like, at the same time, a veteran artist would just kind of let that roll off their back and be like, well, that guy's just an idiot. I'm not paying attention to that and move on. Right. But you know, the reason, the reason this got dragged out for over 10 years now at this point is because she can't let this stuff go. So she's saying it, it, it goes back to what we talked about. Like it's a lot of the stuff is contradictory because she's like, I don't want the drama. I don't want the drama, but it's, like, yeah, you do, because you don't want anyone not to like you. So, like, you need to, <laughs> like, you need it. You can't just let it go. Exactly. And it comes to, like, I think there are plenty of times in, in Taylor Swift's career where, whether it's the media or another artist, she has been the victim. But I also think she, that one of the things people have a problem with her is that she's so ready to play the victim. Oh, I know. There's... <laughs> I love her, but there is so many times where I'm just like, give it a rest, please. Right. <laughs> I love her to bits. Is she, like, I don't want her to be, like, or her, like, PR, like, to be trolling for, like, Taylor Swift podcasts, and then they hear me being like, give it a rest, and then they're, like, blacklisted. She's never meeting Taylor. Right. Like, I don't need that. Taylor Swift, I love you. You are the inspiration of my life. I've always wanted to be you since the second I knew who you were. Okay. I feel better. <laughs> but everybody makes missteps. Yes. Everybody does things wrong, especially in art. And it's not necessarily wrong, but it just doesn't work for everybody always. Yeah. But this is a, a very like quintessential pop song. Yeah, yeah. And and not in a bad way. I'm just saying, I'm looking at, at this song, I'm just like, this is like a perfect example of a pop song. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> it is very poppy. But like I said, I think it's silly and fun too. Well, yeah, and it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's, I didn't, again, like I said, I think a lot of these later songs, I don't have as much to say, not because they're not great songs. The second half of the album is superior to me personally. Right. Well, let's move on to track 14. Call it what you want. I already said that this this was a standout to me, mm-hmm. but I, I really think, at least in the verses, I'm not that I, I'm saying anything negative about the, the chorus, but at least in the verses, to me, this is the first time hearing her lyrics where almost consistently I was like, I like all the lyrics to the verse. Wow. <laughs> like, I really appreciate the verses lyrically in this song. And you're very, you're a stickler for lyrics, so like, that says a lot. You've <laughs> She's earned a badge of honor today. <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and quote them perfectly, but, like, just the line, my castle crumbled overnight. Like, I feel like that's such a relatable feeling. I brought feeling. a knife like, to a gunfight. They took the crown, but it's all right. I feel like those lyrics are relatable to almost everybody. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. We've all felt that moment where almost everything just feels lost in one instance. Right. And this is this going back to what you said about this last three songs being a movement the second part of the movement is 
all that stuff was garbage. And I, you know, with, this is why we can't have nice things. It's like, I'm laughing this off. This was a whole experience for me. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but deep down, it's like, I did have to experience this and it was hard. And I'm, like you said, she's having that lost feeling. Everything's crumbling. This is awful. And yet she finds this person. Right. And she finds, not even just this person. The literal thing is like, yeah, she finds this person, but she finds this feeling of content. And in a secret session, which I'll explain a secret session is she started doing this. I think it was, well, she's always done it actually but it just got like more crazy as she became more and more famous it started getting really big with 1989 she'd do secret sessions with fans like a couple months before the album would drop she would invite fans to her houses but she has multiple houses she has a rhode island house nashville la new york etc she'd have a secret session at each house invite fans from all over the world or country to come listen to her play the album and talk about the album before it's being released. And I don't know how I found this, but I found a little, some recordings from one of her secret sessions for Reputation. And she talks about how this song kind of captured her priorities. And this is quoting her, not an exact quote, but it's this song captured her priorities at the time. And it captured her overall emotional state of what she was feeling when writing this album. And I think that that speaks volumes because it's like she, you know, she was going through all this stuff and then she got to this good place where she, either because she's in a strong relationship now or she's just in a strong relationship with herself now that she's not letting what her reputation is define her anymore. And it's definitely that like moving forward feeling that just really ties together everything that she'd been working towards with this album. The music itself, kind of this this great balance between dark and light. Yeah. Like, and it's again, this production on this album is so good, and the the layering, things coming in, it's it's so well done. I think it is. Yeah, and I do. I I think you make a good point about the the dark and the light because it it, it starts off dark and then it's it just gradually like escalates to the lightness because it just gets more and more hopeful because that's what this feels like too it feels like a very uplifting song it's an uplifting album i think because it starts off like down in like this dark place but it's like hey you'll get your moment look at me i got mine i'm in my moment now i'm dating someone that i truly love it's going well uh i've let go of all these fights with people, the the issues I have with with my reputation, with the image the media has created with me. I've let all that stuff go and now I'm truly like happy with my life. And that's it's a beautiful thing. And it's like we can all relate to that in some way, whether it's, you know, <laughs> not necessarily our reputation or how the media portrays us, because <laughs> too bad we can't all be famous. But we can all relate in like okay like something dark is happening in my life but like once we can move past it once we can let it go it's like such a freeing feeling you know you'll get beyond whatever is happening you know so let me ask you sure before we get on to what your favorite line is Uh exactly what is the title of the significant or the significance of the title what what can we call what we want what what is she saying by that is she saying herself in her place or so call it what you want i think call this relationship that i have what you want but like call me whatever you want like it doesn't matter okay yeah i think 
all around. Just call it what you want to. You don't, it's not your business. Like, and I've finally gotten peace with that. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm happy with the person I'm with, as long as my friends and I are healthy, as long as my family's healthy, as long as I'm healthy, everything's okay. And that is such a, and who cares? And that's a, such, such a beautiful thing for everyone to sort of live by in any circumstances. As long as I'm happy and I'm healthy and the people I care about are okay, it doesn't matter. Right. Nothing else matters. <laughs> well, what is your favorite line from this song? <laughs> well, this is personal. It's, I want to wear his initial on a chain around my neck, chain around my neck. Not because he owns me, because he really knows me. That's your favorite line? Yeah. And it's also why I wear a necklace with a J around my neck. Because for people who don't know, I date this man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's weird. We have another podcast that I talked about that I don't know if it, I don't know if it's been discussed there. I can't remember. That's like, it's like a fever dream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's part of the whole podcast. Right. I'm really dropping, dropping things for people to go over there. So check it out. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's personal for me just because because this song, it's just at first, if I'm being honest, this song did not stick out to me in my first couple listens. Like I was kind of underwhelmed by the music, but because like there's other songs on there that are so like large and like getaway car and, and gorgeous and it's so like loud and like there and this is very subtle but it works so well with what the song's trying to say it's so perfectly understated yes, exactly i didn't understand that at first and i'm like oh it's supposed to be understated yeah it's supposed to be like this you want it to be very like the whole point of the song that hey call it what you want but like this is what reality is and that's how it's supposed to be you don't want everything to be all noise and flashes all the time yeah i agree and it's this movement and I it think, transitions kind of I think of, it's her most sincere song. I just want to say that. I think it's the most sincere song on the album. Let's go ahead and pause and play a little bit of the last track, track number 15, New Year's Day. Hold on to you. And I will hold on to you. A stranger whose laugh I could recognize anywhere. I can see why you think Call It What You Want is the most sincere, but I think, again, this last movement goes hands in hand because honestly, this song is so successful as a work of art because it evokes a lot of emotion. It does, it, and in so many different ways. So, an interesting tidbit before we, we move forward talking about it another note that I got from a secret session, which is interesting. She was talk, Taylor was talking about her process for songwriting. And this was an instance where the lyrics came before the music. So, and that makes sense. And she had mentioned that she'd been saving them for a while, that she got these lyrics and she was waiting for the music to come to follow for the moment, even like she was looking for the right time. Like I have these lyrics, but it needs to come with the right moment and the right feeling. And then this happened. (laughs) (laughs) well and from my understanding and you can correct me if i'm wrong like she had the piano part figured out for this and then jack antonoff put in all the other instruments so 
in another one of their like videos of like makings of a song that's exactly what happened they did it in one night it was like a sit down hash it out it was very they said it was very quick and because it was a very basic songwriting because you're not looking for a lot there because it's very like you said it's sincere Maybe I'll t retract my statement because New Year's Day is very like emotionally intense and, and sincere in what it's saying. It's just call it what you want. It's so like, I don't know, it's sincere in what love is, I guess. In what romantic love is. Can I say that? And I feel like New Year's Day is just sincere in general of what general love is. Does that make sense? <laughs> I would also say that New Year's Day is more sentimental yes thank you that's that's what i was trying to say it's a lot more sentimental speaking of that jimmy fallon had her on just to do an interview but she also performed this song and he started crying something about like his grandma died or something i'm not entirely sure but his grandma recently died and there's the like there's the lyric squeeze my hand three times in the back of the taxi and like apparently that was something his grandmother did was when he was like upset or nervous when he was young, she, he, she'd like squeeze his hand as like a way to like comfort him. So like, the, it's just, it's so relatable and it is so sentimental. I remember, so this was the first Taylor Swift song to be played on country radio stations in at least five years. Oh, wow. A Taylor Swift song had not been played on country radio since her Red album. Well, I don't think this is a country song. It though. was considered country. They played it on country. It's because of the sentimentality. It speaks to those country... Because country has... <laughs> country can be... These days, country's very, like, open about what they're going to accept with country music. <laughs> I'm just going to be right. honest there. But because it's so emotional and country gets gets pretty emotional in that sense in the sentimental way because i feel like country gets very like nostalgic and this is a nostalgic song so uh, so again this this is also a standout track for me but it, the thing you wrote about or read about them or even just said about them doing it really quickly what i read was that like they were like gonna record a like practice take or whatever and they did the practice take and, that was it. and then they were yeah. just like we've got yeah. it that's what We've I got mean. it because it was they really they fast. felt like well not only that what they said was they just felt like that captured the song the authenticity and I hear that but I almost would have been happier and again like this is a standout track so I'm not saying it's bad but I almost would have been happier if it was just Taylor and a piano yeah well I tell you all the time I love when it's just Taylor and, and a piano Taylor and a guitar that is my favorite way to experience Taylor Swift is just stripping everything away and it's just her and that instrument because that is where she really shines as an artist well and i think with the whole rest of this album you have so much going on musically it's really nice that this drops down to be less but if you just took everything away it would really bring home the end of this right album. exactly um i was gonna tell I, we we were talking about something else i got sidetracked you know that it is sentimental. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. That's that's for some reason that was I wasn't like getting that. <laughs> like I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> I was like, what is this song? <laughs> Who knows? Sad feelings, <laughs> but not sad. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, sentimental. I'm a writer. I know words. <laughs> but I I think it's love. It, it is. It's a love song, but it's love for a lot of different people it's romantic for for all the relationships and people you know in your life for me this was sad it was i believe 
the last time I saw my best friend before she moved away, because I haven't seen her physically in at least over a year at this point, but when this came out, this was a couple months after the album came out and she was leaving and I didn't know the next time I'd see her. And it was, I think it was like late December, early January, and we were sitting in the alley behind my house. We'd just gone to dinner together to sort of say goodbye. And it started snowing <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> and it was dark. And the, the like street lamps of the alley were lit though. And you see the snow trickling down underneath these, these street lights. And we had the radio going. And we're just talking about old times and being sentimental with each other and being sad because we know this is the last time we see each other. And then we hear New Year's Day, like, come on. And like, we sort of get quiet and she turns up the radio and then we just sat there listening to New Year's Day. And it's like, see, like a relationship with my best friend, like the, Jimmy Fallon and his grandma, like it's, this is such a universal song. Yeah. That's what it really boils down to. It's so universal and that as an artist in any form in music in writing in movies in in pictures and in any sort of medium universalness is something to really strive for because it's what it's like how can i reach everyone with this and she does that she i don't care if you hate taylor swift if you hear this song you're going to you're gonna feel something from it. right well before we circle back to talk about the album as a whole, yeah. you want to give us your final favorite line? It's so rough. Please don't ever become a stranger whose laugh I could recognize anywhere. Gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's a pretty good line. <laughs> like, I, like, four different faces popped in my head, man. <laughs> so I want to say two things in general about the album as a whole because now that we're moving on sure first off is you and i watched the documentary that came out like shortly after she put out the album after this yes the documentary for those listening that would want to go and find this miss americana also on netflix yeah so we watched that and when this album lost the award she started crying and said i'm gonna make a better album i'm gonna do better a when I heard that the first time, I was like, well, I, I, and I still kind of, I knew a little bit about this album, but not enough. But I was like, I thought part of that whole album is I don't need to care what anyone thinks about me anymore. Right. And I said that to myself, like, I was so disappointed when we watched that documentary and that scene came on. I was so disappointed and angry because I'm like, you just undercut everything that reputation was in like two minutes, not even. Well, right. And now that I'm more familiar with the album, I'm even more angry because I'm like... It made me angry because it's like, this is such a... This is... No, it's not. Probably it is her best collective piece of work. Right. And for her to just disregard it because it didn't win an award, now now I'm, I'm even more upset. I'm just like, you can't let other people... Like, you worked on this. You made a statement. And then it wasn't good enough because it didn't win an award. Like, that's infuriating to me. Right. It's infuriating to me, too, because it's like, well, what are you lying about this whole last movement where you're like, that doesn't matter. I've learned that now and I'm a better person for it. And it's like, are you saying you're not a better person now? You're just going to revert back to what you did before. Right. Like, I understand as an as an artist, I can understand that it's hard. It's very hard. You are very hard on yourself and your own work. So it might have just been that, like, 
when she found out it wasn't nominated for any awards, it might have just been like, well, I'm a piece of shit. My work is garbage. Nobody liked it because I took that break. I shouldn't have taken that break. Like, all this stuff was probably going through her head. But at the same time, it was just so very disappointing because it, it's like, you're wrong. Like, reputation was great. It wasn't supposed to win an award. That was the point. Yeah. Well, this other statement, I, I want you to hear me out and I want to know what you think. But I don't like you starting it being like, I want you to hear me out because that means I'm probably going to fight you. Taylor Swift herself is a brand. And I know this doesn't happen much in pop music, but I would be absolutely stoked and incredibly excited if on top of releasing music as Taylor Swift, her and Jack Antonoff started a duo together where they both wrote songs where she not necessarily would stop writing about herself but pull back from writing herself mm-hmm. and they both sang if the two of them That'd be cool. started a band together because they can both play multiple instruments i think i think it would easily be the greatest thing she could ever possibly do i agree you didn't have to say hear me out on this because like almost all of my favorite taylor swift songs jack antonoff is is part of the at least in the later years because in the early years she didn't work jack antonoff at all but that was just because he wasn't really a thing yet (laughs) like he produced most of the best songs on this album right he produced out of the woods he was a big part of which is one of my favorite songs off of 1989 he does all the best songs on lover (laughs) but he and he's also a singer and he's also another band so i would love to hear what they would sound like together writing music as a band on their own And I don't think it would ever happen because, again, like you mentioned earlier, the Taylor Swift brand, I don't think would allow her to do that. But, oh, my God, I think that would be I would be so excited to hear that album. I would, too. I I wish that were the case. But unfortunately, the way that the music industry, which we don't have time to get into that, we would need another two hours to talk about what's wrong with the music industry. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's a shark world. It's not fair to artists musicians they don't have a chance it's all gar- it, 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 it was always bad but now it's just like straight up terrible well that would be a, such a phenomenal album it's a shame the world won't get that i agree it's true it's just the way that the cookies crumble i i want to make a statement and it's controversial or at least it'll be controversial to me i've said and anyone who knows me personally knows that i've always said for the longest time since it came out in 2010 that speak now is my favorite Taylor Swift album. She wrote it alone, completely alone. Every single song on that album, 14 tracks, is by Taylor Swift, that's it. And she was 19 years old when she wrote an entire album by herself. And that album in its first week sold over a million copies. Not just because of of that, but I had a lot of reasons that it was my favorite album. That's a very theatrical album. It's very fairy tale like storytelling-esque because that's one of her albums where it's less confessional and more I'm telling stories of other people but she's also has moments of confession as I was like 14 when it came out so it was very it just spoke to me a lot because it had a lot of like coming of age themes so that will always have a lot of emotional tie to me but I think and I said this earlier that reputation in the Taylor Swift fan world is a winter album. Speak Now is the other album that people consider a winter album. I think this is Reputation's older sister. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I think this is Speak Now's older sister. Like, there are a lot of, if you, 
for anyone that, that decided to listen to Reputation after listening to this or before listening to this, please go back and listen to Speak Now. It is an amazing piece of work for a 19-year-old to do basically alone besides some help with production. And I've said since 2010, it has not changed. This is my favorite album. After re-listening and taking the notes that I have and talking it through with you, my new favorite Taylor Swift album is reputation well it is it is surprisingly a really good album and thank you for making me listen to it you're welcome it was a pleasure to have you here and i'm sure the listeners will get to hear you soon on another album anyways sarah thank you so much for being on the show well thank you for having me and letting me talk about taylor swift most people don't (laughs) all right well we'll talk again soon yes my castle crumbled overnight and that brings us to a close for this episode. I want to thank Sarah once again for appearing on this show. And the project we spoke of earlier is still a little bit too early in the development stage to fully promote. But if you're interested in finding out more about it, you can check out the Abandoned Mascot Twitter at AbandonedMasco1. Next time we'll be starting the first of an ongoing series within this podcast a look at the discography of my favorite band, Joan of Arc. We're going to do it chronologically, which means next time you can hear us talk about the first album, A Portable Model of. Remember to follow us on ears underscore new at Twitter. And thank you so much for listening. podcast is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening